The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy. And upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman having 10 coins and losing one would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it. And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who Repents. The Gospel of the Lord. First of all, fantastic news. Our other priest, Father Reggie, has finally returned from vacation. He arrived yesterday after 20 hours in the air. Can you imagine that? He flew, his first leg was 16 hours. And then he connected somewhere, I forget where, in the States. And then another four hours to get to San Francisco. And he walked into the directory, a zombie. <laughs> after, well, praise the Lord, he's finally back after 24 days from, uh, from his time away. But uh, as per our diocesan policy, whenever you travel abroad and return home, you have to quarantine for five days. So right now, I think it's unfair. Right? He's back in the directory, kicking his feet up on the couch, just relaxing, doing nothing, while I'm over here slaving away. Huh? So, Father Reggie, I'm not going to feed you. You get your own food. You're on. It's unfair. But thank God he's back, and he'll be back on the, in, the, in the liturgical schedule. Hopefully by this Friday is his first liturgy if everything works out well. Yesterday we had a retreat for our catechists. So we're about to launch our, our faith formation year, and before we begin... The team's been working really hard. We have over 200 young people for the, for the faith formation program. And so we gathered together as a team, and we had a little retreat. I gave one of the talks. Sister Laura also gave a talk as well. And I wanted to share with the team some of the context of the kids that will march into the rooms. I want to share with you some stats. 
teenagers, ages 13 to 18, how many hours a day would you say the average American teen spends on entertainment and social media? Just, you don't have to yell out the answer, but just in your, in your own mind, just imagine. Your average teenager, 13 to 18, how many hours a day does the average American spend on entertainment and social media? Nine hours a day. Te- tweens, which is ages 8 to 12. How many hours a day does your average American tween spend on entertainment and social media? Six hours. And that's not counting schoolwork. So can you imagine those kids, when they come into the classroom, All of that media consumption is floating around in their heads and in their hearts. And if we were to ask those teens, which I want to ask all of you, how do you measure your value? Where does your value come from? Because if our tweens and our teens are consuming six to nine hours of social media and entertainment, what do you think those messages are? How do we measure our value? It's a great question because in the gospel today, in the gospel today, with this beautiful parable that our Lord gives us, it's a famous one, he says that he begins, as the tax collectors and sinners were coming to him and everybody's upset because these sinners are coming and the Lord says, which man among you having a hundred sheep losing one will not leave the 99 in the desert and go after that one single dumb sheep that's just wandering out there? (laughs) Which one of you would abandon the 99 in the desert and go after the dumb one? Nobody would do that. Why? Because if you go after the one, you're going to leave the remaining 99 at the risk of being killed by wolves, stolen by robbers. No businessman goes after the one, leaving the 99. Or the other parable that our Lord gives us. What woman, having 10 coins and losing one, who cleans her house or her sweeps it, has a lamp, looks for it, until she finds one single coin, and then she invites all of her friends and neighbors, the entire town, to come celebrate the finding of that single coin. If we were invited to her house to celebrate this day, I think the right reaction is, who cares about your coin? But obviously, this woman thinks this coin is valuable. The shepherd thinks that one sheep has worth. Why? Do you remember when you were 18? Think back. When we were 18, oh, we were cocky, weren't we? Do you remember when we were 18? 
because we just, we, we just graduated from high school, and then the world tells us, you are now an adult, and we're now out in the quote-unquote the real world, and when we're 18, oh, we're cocky. Because not only are we at the peak of our, of our physical beauty, our health, but the world now is at our fingertips. Oh, do you remember when you were 18? So you know, many of you know I grew up in Elk Grove, and when I was 18, now I was already immediately went into college. And sadly, I fell into the messages that I was bombarded with because like the teens I quote in today's stats, very much a part of that culture. I was doing great in school, getting, getting great grades, had a great job which worked perfectly with my school schedule and my social life was, was amazing, great friends, great family life. At that time I was driving a Mercedes Benz as well. Oh, when you're 18 too, it's all about your car, isn't it? Oh, especially as, as men, we love our cars. <laughs> and then, of course, at an 18-year-old, especially for a young man, what is your crowning achievement? Ah, oh, the trophy girlfriend. You got to have the trophy girlfriend. Why? The prettier, the better. Oh, I had my trophy. Do you remember Arden Mall? Sacramento also used to be the main mall. And I recall, I remember, we, 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 go, we go shopping together oftentimes and... And I'd always, whenever I go to the mall, I'd always have her clinging to my arm. Because I wanted every man in that mall to know that this beautiful woman was with this guy, right? You're 18, you're cocky, that's what you do. I thought I was something. Because the world tells me I need all of those things to be amazing. Until March 13th, 1999. I was at my girlfriend's house hanging out with her. We were arguing, always argued. And I really just looked at my watch. I had 10 minutes before my shift started. And so I told her, I said, hey, I gotta, I gotta get going. We'll continue the fight over the phone. <laughs> I gotta go to work. Storm out of her house, slam the door, hop in my Mercedes Benz, and I, and, I, and I speed down to work. I get to the store, it was, it was, a, it was a retail, retail store, and when I get there, they sign me the worst department to have, which is toys. Why toys? Because all the little kids come into your aisles and they mess up everything. And you gotta go in after the kids and clean up everything again, right? So I get the worst department. I pick up the phone and we continue the argument. I eventually yell. So I'm over the phone in my department trying to organize the toys while I'm arguing on the, over the phone. We're done. We're over with. Click, hang up the phone. Just broken up. Two minutes after I hung up the phone, Tessa, who was the head of security of this particular store, comes in. She says, Brian, follow me into my office. I want to meet with you. 
I said, oh, what's going on? So I go there, sits me down, and she says, we've been watching for the last few months now, and we know what you've been doing. You see, my friends would come in. They would come to the store, and they would ask me for free stuff. Especially one friend in particular, he loved video games, and at that time, CDs were huge. And he'd always ask me for video games and CDs, and rightly so. We had a system worked out where I could funnel free merchandise to all of my friends. I thought of it, oh, it's a perk of the job. If I worked at Baskin-Robbins, my friends came in asking for an extra scoop of vanilla. Of course, here, take it. I'm awesome. Perks of the job. When I realized that they knew what I was doing, that whole list, I said, oh, great, they're going to fire me, but who cares? I'm 18. I'm awesome. Then at that moment, this is what I hear. Doors fling open, and these two huge Sacramento County Sheriff deputies walk in. I said, hmm, why are they here? You are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent, and they, they read you your rights, which actually happens. I always thought it was just the movies, but they actually say that to you. I can still feel the coldness of the handcuffs upon my wrists. They pick me up, and they lead me to the police car, which was parked outside. If you've ever been arrested, you know this, but the back seat of a police car, or this particular one, was made out of plastic. Why plastic? Because can you imagine the filth that goes on behind a police car? If it's plastic, it's a lot easier to clean. I remember the hardness of the seats. They take me from Elk Grove to downtown Sacramento to the county jail go through processing, fingerprinting, the mugshot. And they throw me into the first room was the holding cell. A holding cell in Sacramento County is not that big. It's probably about the size of our chapel. If you ever go to the side chapel here, that's about the size of a holding room. And as I was sitting there, it was just filled. This was a Friday night. It was just packed with all of the scum of Sacramento County your car thieves, your drug dealers, your drunk drivers, your gang bangers, and me sitting there. <laughs> By this point, it's probably about two in the morning, and I realize I gotta call home. My parents are gonna get worried that I didn't come home after work. In the holding cell, there was a payphone in the corner I picked it up and I called collect. You old folks will know what calling collect means. <laughs> My dad answers. He's dazed and confused because I woke him up from a deep sleep. And he says, Brian, what's going on? Why, why are you calling? Why are you not at home? What's happening? And I remember the words, the exact words I said to him. I said, Dad, I'm not coming home tonight. I'm in jail. 
Oh, when the words finally came out of my mouth, I finally realized of the mess that I've got myself into. And I started to weep like a little baby in that holding cell. I couldn't control it, so I had to hide in that little corner because I, I can't let the gangbangers and the drug dealers see me weeping like a little baby. So I'm trying to hide and compose myself in that corner, and I'm just, I'm just, just weeping my eyes out, ugly crying, as we say, right? And I just hung up the phone, and I, and I, and I just balled up in the corner. And, and as I was sitting there, because in jail, you don't sleep. You don't sleep there. And I was sitting there, kind of reflecting. I just lost my job, lost my, the respect of my family, put my school at risk, because it was a Friday night. I had a math final that Monday, and I was, I was planning on studying that entire weekend, but the jail doesn't allow you to bring your textbooks. And I lost my trophy girlfriend. So everything that the world said to place your value and your worth in was gone in a single day. And so I'm sitting there reflecting upon this, and I start asking the big philosophical existential questions. If everything that I built my life upon could be gone, then what is real? What is eternal? What can never be taken away? And then the Holy Spirit came, like a ray of light. And the thought came to me, the one thing that can never be taken away is a relationship with God can never be taken away. But I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, I went to Mass every single Sunday. Oh, you would have found me in the pews at 18 here. My prayer life consisted of every night before I went to bed, I pray one Our Father and one Hail Mary. That's it. Faster the better. That was the extent of my Catholicism. No heart, no love. The next day, my mother came to bail me out. You can imagine as a child, you're thinking, oh no, <laughs> what's mom going to do? What's dad going to do? You imagine them yelling at you, beating you in front of everybody. <laughs> But when I walked out of, out of the room to the processing room, my mom was standing there. She couldn't even look at me. She was so ashamed. And I could tell by the swollen eyes on her face, she was crying all night long because her baby boy is in jail as a parent you don't sleep 
Oh, I wanted her to yell at me, to scream at me, to beat me with a belt or her slipper, or do something, just, just do something, react. But no, she just looked down at the floor. They ride from downtown Sacramento to El Grove. It's about 15 minutes, all in awkward silence. We get back to the house, and immediately I ran upstairs, went to my bedroom, shut the door, and beside my bed was a nightstand, and there was a little plastic rosary there. You know, like the plastic beads that you give little second graders, third graders, something cheap. Instinctively, I grabbed it. Because my mother taught me how to pray the rosary when I was little, so I knew the prayers well. I knew, how to, I knew the mysteries. I knew all the prayers. I grabbed it, and I literally start screaming out the Hail Marys. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And I'm, as tears are just flowing from my face, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And I, I was just crying out to God and my brokenness. First time I ever prayed from the depths of my heart. I think I fell asleep praying the rosary. I don't think I finished it because I was so tired. When I woke up the next morning, something had changed. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer. I started to hear birds singing. I made a promise that day. From this moment on, God would have to be the most important love of my life. That I will have to work to build this relationship with all of my strength and all of my heart and all of my mind. That I would pursue Him relentlessly. I was 18 years old then. When I made that promise, I'm 78 now. Huh? And I've never gotten off that train. I realized at that moment that my value is not how I look, it is not what I have, it is not what car I drive, it is not how my body looks, it is not who my friends are, it's not how I dress. That is not my value. Our value is that we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, created in God's image and likeness. Oh, that is who we are. You see, this is why I wor that the young people in here, the 13 to 18 year old teenagers, if, you, if you're in between that age group, I'm talking to you. You tweens from 8 to 13, I'm talking to you as your pastor. You are not what the media tells you and the video games and the, and the entertainment which upholds a standard which is absolutely impossible to achieve. And it says to you that you are these things, that your value and your worth is how you look, what you do, and what you have. No, that is not who you are. That is not your value.
We are baptized Christians. Won at the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now do you see why the shepherd goes after the one? Now do you see why the woman rejoices after finding that coin? I'll conclude with the ending to that story about going to jail. So when I first arrived here, it was busy, of course, and there was no food in the rectory yet. I didn't have time to go to grocery shopping yet, and there's a lot of work here. And so I went, I'd go out constantly to restaurants because you're so tired, you don't, you don't have time to cook, you don't want to clean, you're lazy. So one evening I go to Buddha Thai Bistro. You ever go there? Amazing food, by the way. So I'm sitting there, probably my first week here, I'm sitting there having dinner. And guess who walks into the restaurant? That friend that would ask me for free stuff. He walks in, he drives up in a brand new Mercedes. He pulls up to the, to the curb. I can tell that car was worth easily over $100,000. He walks in here, he's wearing an extra small t-shirt to show off his buff muscles. He comes in there, he had a beautiful woman at his side, probably his girlfriend or his wife. He walked in as a big shot. And as I'm eating there, as I'm eating my pad thai, I'm watching him walk in, and I'm thinking to myself, I haven't seen you since I was 18. I went to jail for you. <laughs> and I wanted to thank him. Because he changed my life. He opened my eyes. This is our true value, right here. That is why our Lord goes after the sheep and the woman rejoices about this coin.